Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. Before we dive in, I would love for us to pray together. Would you pray with me? Jesus. I ask that you would do exceedingly more during this time. I ask that you, as the one who is the hope of glory, would be the one that brings hope into this space here today. Jesus, I pray that um, you would put words in my mouth that would minister, that would bless, that would teach, that would bring forth hope in this place here today. We love you and we trust you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. And as Sean just mentioned, we are in the final week before Christmas. And not only that, after Christmas, we are in the final week of 2017. There are lots of countdowns occurring, aren't there? And I think some of the people that are counting down the most are children, right? They are most definitely counting down to Christmas, but the children in my household are also counting down to something else. They are counting down to being out of school, right? They, they are counting down the days to being set free, right? And as soon as they are set free, parents all over the globe will begin to count down the days for them to go back in, correct? And so there's lots of countdowns that are going on, and counting down to something hopeful, uh, it grows our anticipation, doesn't it? When we have something to look forward to, we count down to it with anticipation. Think about like when you've had a trip planned, right? Specifically, if you live in the Midwest and you have a trip planned in February to a warm climate, right? You are just counting down with hopeful anticipation, aren't you? Or think about like a, a wedding that's coming up and you're really excited about it or, or a birthday or an anniversary. You count down with excitement, with anticipation. Maybe for you, you know, you know that uh, every year you get a bonus at the end of the year, right? And as you draw to the end of the year, you get excited and hopeful about what that might be. But counting down to something difficult brings out an entirely different feeling, doesn't it? When you know you're counting down to something that is going to be hard, it produces an entirely different feeling, doesn't it? Think back to maybe when you were in college, and at the beginning of the semester, the teacher gave the syllabus, and you knew there was going to be a big final exam at the end of the class, and throughout the entire semester, you just kind of ignored, you know, everything that the teacher taught. You only went to class when you felt like it, and then the night before the test, you decided, oh my gosh, I got to cram for this, right? You did not have hopeful anticipation for that test the next day. Think about maybe a move that was coming up. And there were cardboard boxes all over your house and you had to pack every one of your earthly belongings into those cardboard boxes. Most likely, you did not look forward to that process with hopeful anticipation. Maybe for you, 
You knew that a season in a relationship was coming to an end. Or maybe you knew that you were making a decision and the ramifications of that decision, the consequences of that decision were going to affect other people in perhaps a really hard way. Counting down to something that might be hard, we can sense our own dread and our avoidance come up, don't we? We don't feel that same level of anticipation. And the season of Advent has all of us counting down. We're counting down to the birth of Jesus. We're counting down to the day that literally split time in half. We are all in a anticipation, a counting down, but I imagine the feelings that are being held in this room here today have us all counting down in very different emotions. In a room like this, we are all entering into the countdown to Jesus with lots of different feelings in our hearts. For many, this season is filled with an eager anticipation and you feel it and there is an excitement, but for others, there is an empty anguish as we come into this Christmas season. Well, some are delighted with all of the lights and the music and the merriment. There are others that are feeling distressed and you are experiencing a very real sense of despair, of loneliness. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about when we find ourselves in a season and we can't find hope there with us. When you find yourself in a season and you look around and you're wondering, where is hope? And maybe for you, you aren't in that season yourself. You don't find yourself in a hopeless state today. But I imagine every one of us has been there once before, right? Where we've, we felt like the, the bottom had dropped out and we couldn't find hope. And perhaps if you haven't been there, I imagine every single one of us knows someone, loves someone that has found themselves in a season where hope was hard to find. And I want to look at a passage of scripture that when we first read it, it is a bit obscure. In fact, it's, it's a bit uh, even interesting to think, what does this passage actually have to do with Christmas? And I want to invite you to actually grab the Bible in front of you. It's, it's underneath the seat back in front of you to grab it. And we're going to turn to an Old Testament book, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, and what a prophet would do was the prophet would foretell, would kind of speak out into the future about things that were to occur. And as you're turning to Isaiah chapter 11, it's found on page 562, as Sean mentioned, we are in the midst of Advent. And in our family, we love to celebrate Advent. We love to anticipate together 
the coming of Jesus. And over the years, we've developed a few traditions as a family, uh, as we celebrate Advent together. A few years ago, Jarrett and I kind of made this little board, and, and we got 25 little bags. And at the beginning of December, we kind of count down, and each morning, the kids pull this little bag, and there's like a little trinket, or there's a verse in it. And, and that's how we celebrate our mornings together. And then uh, we, we got a book a number of years ago. It's simply called The Advent Book, very clearly branded. Um, and each morning, uh, we got this when our kids were little, and each morning, you know, they open up to the page uh, that we're on, and there's a door, and they get to open up the door, and they get to read a verse for the day, right? And so we had this when they were little, but now they still love to do it. And so we do this at breakfast time. They have a whole system for it. Elijah is the evens, Gigi is the odds, right? You know, and so they go back and forth with the different doors that they open up. And then in the evening time, we have another book that we read around our dinner table. Uh, My friend Ann Voskamp wrote this book. It's called Unwrapping the Greatest Gift. And we light our own Advent candles. And so, so we have these traditions in our family as to how we celebrate Advent. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wow, they are really Advent overachievers, right? Um, do not let the appearance fool you. Because this last week, as we celebrated Advent, there were multiple, multiple uh, bickering fights that I had to break up while we were talking through Jesus and Advent. Um, I had to negotiate uh, in one of the little bags, there was some winter green Tic Tacs, and there were also some peppermint Tic Tacs. So I had to negotiate ever so wisely who was gonna get the winter green Tic Tacs. A wise mother would have just bought two wintergreen Tic Tacs, right? So I had to do some negotiating. Uh, There was some syrup spilled on the Advent book. And at one point, I even had to draw the co-parent of our household back into the reality that we were speaking of Jesus, not Jedis, while we read through... The Advent book. So our overachieving Advent, while it looks really good on the outside, that's how it really goes down. Hashtag real life. (laughs) But the passage that we're going to look at here today actually was the very first passage on December 1st. And when we sat down to our Advent book and we read through uh, the first passage in Advent, the verse that we're going to look at here today is is the verse that we read on that very first day of Advent. And I, I read it around our dinner table to our children, and both of my kids simultaneously said to me, Mom, what does this have to do with Christmas? We read the passage, and and they said, I I thought that Christmas was like about Jesus and Mary and Joseph and a stable and a barn and all. What does this have to do with Christmas? And I'm excited for us to dive into this passage. I've actually never studied and preached on this passage, but as I have uh, studied it this last week, I have found so much hope for my heart And I'm excited and believing that God has something for you here today. So we're in Isaiah 11, verse 1, and this is what it says. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. 
How about that for some inspiration? I mean, you're inspired, aren't you? You are moved, you are motivated, you are feeling transformed just from the reading of that verse, aren't you? I mean, thank you. A stump, some roots, a branch, and some fruit, and some dude named Jesse. I mean, what are we to get out of this passage? It's Christmas time. You would think that we would read a passage about Mary, that we would read a passage about Joseph, we would read a passage about the shepherds, we'd read a passage about the wise men that eventually came to visit, or at least we would read a passage about Jesus, the main character of the story. What on earth does this passage have to do with Christmas? I'm so glad you asked. Isaiah is a prophet. He's a prophet. So this is a promising prophecy that was spoken to a group of people during a season of time where the collective landscape of life did not feel promising. So Isaiah is bringing forth a promise in the midst of hopelessness. You see, there's not much hope on the horizon for the people of God to look forward to. And Isaiah interrupts their painful present with this future foretelling by saying a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, while it doesn't look like this passage has much to do with Christmas, I actually see a whole lot of hope in this passage because I see a whole lot of Jesus in this passage. Because what we know, because we now have the rear view mirror, we now get to see the story in reverse. What we know is that the branch that Isaiah, Isaiah speaks of is the baby born in Bethlehem. That's what he was foretelling, that Isaiah is calling out literally seven centuries out into the future saying, there is a branch coming. I know that life feels dead and desolate, but trust me, there is a shoot and that shoot is going to have a branch and that branch is going to bring hope and restoration and it is going to bring new life. And the shoot of hope that comes out of the hopeless stump of Jesse is Jesus. You see, what Isaiah is saying to us is that when it looks like there is nothing, when life feels like a dead stump and no life is present, God is always up to something. God is always up to something because Jesus is the anchor of hope that is woven into every single story throughout time because every story that looks like it has been lost and nothing can be redeemed, God is always up to something. And that is because when you are down to nothing, God is always up to something. When you feel like your life is down to nothing, God is always up to something. In fact, I am confident that there are many of you here today, and the reason you came to church is you need to hear that hope. You need to hear that truth. And maybe even more than you need to hear it, you need to say it. 
Sometimes just the very hearing of hope doesn't actually go in. Sometimes we have to say it for ourselves. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to find your very best preaching voice that lives inside of you, okay? The very best preachers believe that the word God has three syllables to it, okay? It is not God, it is God, okay? That's the very best preachers. It's got three syllables in it, okay? You got that? And so what you're going to do is you're going to find your very best preaching voice inside of you, and you're going to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say this. When you are down to nothing... God is always up to something. All right. We got some preachers in the house. Let's try that one more time. When you are down to nothing, God is always up to something. That's right. That's right. You see, sometimes... Sometimes we don't just need to hear it, we need to say it for ourselves. Sometimes we don't need to just hear it, we need to actually own it. We need to say it. We need to let it sit in the gut of who we are. Because when you are down to nothing, God is always up to something. And that's what is occurring in this passage in Isaiah when it says a shoot will come up out of the stump of Jesse. Because what you need to know about the stump of Jesse and the story of Jesse is that the story of Jesse actually didn't look like it had a lot of hope in it. Jesse is actually David's father. And those of you that were here for the Caves and Crowns series that we just walked through, David had a few little fumbles in his life, didn't he? There was a little bit of pain. There was a little bit of loss. There was a little bit of failure, a little bit of hopelessness. And the story towards the end of Jesse's life looked as though it was a fallen tree, like a dead stump that had been cut down, never to bear fruit again. But if you know anything about the faithfulness of God, you know that when God cuts us back, when God prunes us, he never does it outside of a purpose. God never prunes without there being a purpose. And there is a purpose in all of the hopelessness in Jesse's family story, but it had to grow in the hidden and hard places. And there are some seasons of life where hope seems almost completely lost, like life feels like a barren stump without branches. And what you need to know is that if you are in a season of life like that, if you have a loved one that is in a season of life like that, hope has not stopped growing. Hope has not stopped growing because hope always grows in the hidden and hard places. That's where hope grows. Hope grows in the hidden and hard places. And you know where that is especially true? That is especially true in the Christmas story. It is a story of hope, but that hope grew in the hidden and hard places. You think about Joseph for a minute. 
You think about Joseph's narrative in the Christmas story. It had to be hard for Joseph. His, his fiancée is pregnant, and it's not his baby. You think that was hard? You think that was difficult? You think Joseph had some dark nights? You think Joseph had some questions of God? You think about Mary for a minute. It had to be hard for Mary. Can you imagine how people looked at her? Can you imagine the gossip that occurred about Mary, the woman that was pregnant with the Son of God? You know, so often what we try to do is we try to actually disinfect and clean up the Christmas story. And every time we do that, we miss that God actually chose to come the hard way. And to gloss over that Jesus was hidden in an obscure barn is to miss a part of the nature of God and how God does some of his very best work. To miss the struggle is to miss the significance that God picked a hard and hidden way to come into the world. That was God's choice. And hope comes the hard and hidden way because it is the path where hope grows. It's the path where hope grows. And over the past month, I've had so many different conversations with so many of you. Whether it be emails or texts, Moments where we found one another out in the lobby. Moments of prayer in the prayer hall. And I know that there is a collective narrative right now. And many of you are walking through very hard seasons. Seasons that feel hidden. Seasons that feel hopeless. Seasons of loss, seasons of loneliness, seasons where you are now encountering a change in a relationship that you didn't see coming, seasons of grief, of disappointment, seasons of infertility, seasons of divorce, seasons of loneliness, seasons of doubt, seasons of questioning, seasons of feeling a depth of rejection and betrayal, seasons of wondering, is God even listening to my prayers anymore? And for those of you that are here in this space and you are in a season like that or you are sitting next to a person or there is a, a person in your life that you love desperately and they find themselves in a season like that, as you anticipate Christmas, your life feels like it is a stump. And you wonder, is there ever going to be a branch that I can see? And for so many of us, when we find ourselves in seasons like that, this is what our circumstances feel like. 
they feel like a big black hole of hopelessness. And that when we look at our life and when we look at what's going on and we look at what our loved ones are experiencing, all we can see is this. We can't see any of the white space around us. We can't see anything else that is going on in the world. All we can see is what is right here. And if you've ever been in a season like this, it feels overwhelming, doesn't it? Like your circumstance is just locked in this black hole of hopelessness and you don't know how you're ever going to get out. I know the seasons of life where I have walked in this black hole. My brain feels foggy. My heart feels tender. My decisions feel wobbly. My relationships feel fragile because this thing of hopelessness, this struggle of hopelessness is all I can see. It's all I can see. But what's amazing about our struggle is that God doesn't see our life the same way. God's view of you has never been this. You see, what God actually sees is God sees it like this. Not that it's minimized, not that it's not significant. Not that it's not a very real difficulty, but God sees the whole story. Every chapter, every character, every heartbreak that will actually move to awakening our heart, every setback that can actually lead to success. You see, our perspective and God's perspective is never the same. But when we are in seasons of hopelessness, what we do with the circumstance <laughs> is we see it like this. And we can't see anything else. We can't see the movement of God. We can't see the peace of God. We can't see that God was faithful in the past. That he's present and with us. And that we can depend on the truth that he will always be faithful in the future. But when we are in the middle of the black hole of hopelessness, this is what we do with our circumstance. We draw it in close, and it's all we can see. God sees so much more, friends. He sees so much more. And he doesn't see your circumstances the way that you see your circumstance. And I wonder if perhaps 
the struggle, the challenge, the difficulty, the loss. What if the struggle is actually showing up to help you show up? What if the struggle is actually showing up to help you show up. You see, I have said this many times before. A number of years ago, I stopped asking God why. I stopped asking God why because God never answered my questions when I asked why. So I stopped asking why. But I have learned to build my life on better questions. God, what do you want me to see? What do you most want me to see? God, how do you want me to show up so that there can be more transforming work in my life? God, what if this struggle is showing up because there is a whole new way in which you want to show up and you want me to show up? You see, what matters most is not the struggle. What matters most is what the struggle opens up within us. And I wonder what if the struggle is showing up to help you show up. And here's what I know about God and here's what I see in Isaiah 11.1 1 today. God is in the business of using stumps. God is willing to use the hard circumstance, the thing that you think is beyond repair because what does it say in Isaiah that out of the stump a shoot rose up? Out of the stump, a shoot rose up. Out of the roots, a branch will bear fruit. God never sees a dead stump. He only sees stumps that have been cut back so that they can be ready for comebacks. You see, spiritual cutbacks always lead to spiritual comebacks. Spiritual cutbacks lead to spiritual comebacks. I worked hard on that one, friends. <laughs> really hard. It's my hallelujah and amen choir. Maybe you are relying on some old fruit. And God wants to cut back to take your root system deeper. Maybe you were relying on branches that were holding fruit from many seasons ago and God wants to do a new thing, a fresh thing, but before he can do a new thing, he has to prune us back. There has to be a spiritual cutback and in the cutback, he always prepares us for a comeback and some of you today are being cut back and it hurts, and it's hard, and there are hidden aches, and I so get it. I so get it, I am walking in my own season of spiritual cutbacks. In my own season of pruning. In my own season of hard. And in my own season 
or I wonder if God is still going to grow some hope in the hidden places. But you need to hear me today. If you are in the midst of a cutback, you cannot stop hoping. You cannot stop hoping because hope is the anchor that holds us when it feels like we are literally hobbling our way through hell. Hope is the anchor that will always hold us. And if you stop hoping, you will literally make your heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Perhaps that tree of life is the stump and the shoot that comes out of Jesse. But if you stop hoping, your heart will grow sick. And putting hope on hold literally causes an ache to your heart. This last week, um, Gigi had a vocabulary test. And after we got the syrup off the Advent book, and in the morning we were, you know, uh, prepping for her vocabulary test that day, and we were going through the words, and, you know, I would give her a word, and she would give me the definition. And I was just going down the list. I hadn't really read the list yet, and I was just going down the list, and I got to a word on her vocabulary test this week, and the word was the word despair. And she said, Mom, despair is the absence of hope. And as she said the definition, big tears welled up in my eyes and began to fall. And she said, Mom, did I say something wrong? Is that not despair? I said, no, baby, that is what despair is. It is the absence of hope. And despair wants you to be disempowered, but deliverance wants you to be empowered. And I said, Gigi, Baby, I don't know what's in your future. I don't know what is in your path. But here's what you need to hear from me today. You can never, ever, ever stop hoping. You're on Team Stevens, and we don't ever give up hope. Even when it feels like your life is a stump and nothing's going to grow out from it, don't ever, ever, ever give up hope. She said, can we do the next word, Mom? <laughs> Poor kid has two pastors as parents. <laughs> Second Corinthians 4.8 says we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. And you may be here today, and you are hard-pressed on every side. You literally may feel crushed. You may have friends or family members that feel crushed. There may be things in your life that feel so perplexing, you have no idea why it has come into your life. But Paul says, do not despair. Don't 
lose hope. And God's pathway to transformation is almost always hard. You see, I've yet to meet a person and as they tell me their story of transformation, the story goes something like this. I had this really wonderful success and then after that I had this wonderful moment of success and then again, like a few weeks later, another incredible moment of success and success upon success upon success upon success and I mean, they're just gonna write success on my tombstone one day. I have yet to meet a person and their story of transformation was just success upon success. But I'll tell you, the people that experience real life-changing transformation, you know where that transformation occurs? In the hard and hidden places. And you know that to be true about your own life. That that is the soil where God has most transformed you. It was in the hard and in the hidden places. And you may have had a banner year, but there are some people in this place that feel like they have had a barren year. And the mystery of God's love is that it always meets us where we are and it never leaves us where it found us. And the path to hope is hope itself. You can't ever stop hoping. And so I want to invite us into a moment of courageous hope today. And if you are feeling alone... I want to create an opportunity for you to receive a loan, a loan of hope. I had a friend over a couple of weeks ago, and we were just sitting at my kitchen counter, and she just said, Jeannie, I, I don't know if I feel any more hope. I don't know how to keep moving forward. I said, I get it. And sometimes you don't need to find your own hope. Somebody just needs to lend you a little bit of theirs. And I want you to look around this space and this place. Like, actually look around. Look at the loan of hope that we can give to one another. Because God describes us as a body. He describes us as a family. He describes us as brothers and sisters. That person you just preached to, that's your brother, that's your sister. And sometimes we find ourselves in seasons where we need a little loan from our brother. We need a little loan from our sister. And in a moment, those of you that find yourself in a season where you need a loan of hope, it might be a big loan, it might be a little loan. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand so that we can give you a loan of hope. Because some of you are walking into this Christmas season and it feels hopeless. But Jesus himself said to us, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And so for those of us here today that are in need of a loan of hope, what I'm going to invite you to do is just stand to your feet. It might be a little loan. It might be a big loan. But if you are in need of hope today, I'm just going to invite you to stand up right where you're at.
And you need to know something that's true about God and something that's true about this community. Nobody ever stands alone here. Nobody ever stands alone. Because that brother or sister that's standing right by you, they need your hope today. And so we get to participate in extending the loan. And so if you have a brother or a sister that is standing around you and they have a little withdrawal in their life of hope, I'm going to ask you to stand with them right now. I'm going to ask you to just come alongside of them. You might not know them. You might not know their name. Now's a good time to kind of ask them, who are you? A lot of people have been saying to me, Soul City's getting so big. I don't know anybody. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You're standing with somebody right now. And you have the capacity after this moment is done to say, hey, what's your name? Can we start sitting together every Sunday? Because I have a feeling I might be in a season one day where I need a loan of hope. I might be in a season where I'm feeling some despair. And as I lend you my hope today, one day I might need yours. So maybe, just maybe, you came here today because you're going to get a name. You're going to get an email, not like that kind of way, like, you know, where you're going to now have a date. But um, (laughs) maybe, who knows? God moves in mysterious ways. We get to loan out hope, friends, because the hope of Jesus, the hope of glory, lives inside of us. And we get to extend that to one another. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move into a time of worship. And I'm going to ask those of you that are standing with somebody for you to just pray a spiritual transaction over them that a little bit of your hope would get deposited into their soul today. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the hope of glory. We thank you that you are the hope of the world, and we thank you that you have deposited your hope inside of us, and you have deposited enough for many of us here today to be able to lend it to our brother, to be able to lend it to our sister. And Jesus, I literally pray a spiritual transaction over this space here today that there would be an exchange of your hope in this room here today, that hearts that were heavy would feel lighter. That those that walked in alone would walk out being seen and known. And Jesus, I pray as you tell us to take heart, that you would take every one of our brothers and sisters' hearts who feel hopeless today, and that you would minister to them, deeply minister to the spaces and the places, God, that feel so desolate and feel so dark. And God, that you would somehow extend a sliver of your hope into their spirit today, we pray. And it is in the name of Jesus, who is the hope of glory, that we pray. Amen and amen.